grateful to hear those words again, that piece, the hymn of promise, was a favorite one of the folks I served when I was a chaplain at a United Methodist retirement home in Pinehurst years ago, and since then it has stayed with me as a favorite. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 through 14. This is the account of the ascension of Jesus as found in the book of Acts. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or the periods that the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood beside them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas born of James. All of these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. And all of God's people said, Amen. It's that season again when our mailboxes and inboxes and Facebook feeds are filled with graduation news. The school year is finally wrapped up and finals are finally over and the time of transitions has come. From preschool to high school, from college to grad school, our kids and grandkids and nieces and nephews and neighbors and church family are donning their caps and gowns, receiving awards and diplomas and smiling for the camera. Several of our own from our youth group were recognized just a few weeks ago and they graduated from Cabell Midland High School on Thursday and then from Huntington High on Friday. Just 
this past Thursday morning in Fab Care Chapel, I myself was starting to tear up when we said goodbye and had a prayer over our pre-K class that's now graduating into what we call big school. All of these significant moments need to be honored, which is why we have rituals and official celebrations to mark the time. It's crucial for us as humans, we need these kinds of marks for these transitions. We need something that notes the ending of one chapter and the beginning of a new chapter. The turning of that page, of course, elicits mixed emotions, smiles and tears, gratitude and grief. It's a time for us to say goodbye to what has been and to begin to say hello to what is on the way. In today's passage, we find the disciples smack dab in one of these very significant transitions. And this will be a transition that changes everything they know. Luke, who is the author of both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, explains that the risen Lord has appeared to the disciples and he has been teaching them for 40 days. According to verses two and three, he's been giving them instructions through the Holy Spirit, speaking about the kingdom of God. The end of Luke's gospel, chapter 24, also has another account of the, of the ascension. And there he says, Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Can you imagine 40 days of the risen Lord right in front of them, explaining the intricacies of scripture in detail, opening their minds and hearts to everything he had to say, answering their questions, filling in the gaps. What a rich time of growth and learning for the 11 disciples. But this time of growth and learning is not simply for them. It's also a time of preparation because things are about to change. Jesus isn't pouring into them over these 40 days just for their sake, but because he needs these 11 disciples, meaning followers, to become his apostles, meaning those who are sent out to be witnesses, his witnesses to a hurting world. Here's a fun fact. In Luke's gospel, he uses the term apostles only six times, preferring the use of disciples instead, meaning followers. In Acts, Luke uses the term apostles, meaning messengers or those sent out at least 30 times, starting in verse two, as Jesus is giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he has chosen. So six times using apostles in Luke, the gospel, and then in Acts, 30 times using that word. It's a shift in language, disciple to apostle, follower to messenger, that reflects a pending shift in their reality. Jesus is preparing them to graduate from literally following in his footsteps, his physical bodily earthly presence right there alongside them 
to going out into the world to be his witnesses in all Judea, their local area, out into Samaria, where those other people live, and then out to the ends of the earth. Whether they know it or not, and whether they like it or not, the once 12 and now 11 disciples are about to graduate to being apostles. It's not that they'll stop learning from Jesus or following him. Discipleship is always going to be part of their story. But rather, their discipleship, their faith journey as a small, close-knit community of followers is about to change. It's going to enlarge and expand and stretch into being sent out. And their 11 will grow into hundreds and then thousands. And their graduation from disciples to full apostles will involve also a hard goodbye to the earthly Jesus, to the physical presence that he had in their lives. They're going to be saying goodbye and it's not quite time to say hello to what comes next. Now, as usual, the disciples, almost apostles, aren't really clear what Jesus is up to in today's passage. Just like us modern believers, they have trouble thinking beyond their own comfortable human-sized categories that they already have in mind. Verses 3 through 5 tell us that after teaching them for over 40 days about the kingdom of God, Jesus orders them not to leave Jerusalem but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, this is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then the next time they're all together, the 11 ask Jesus the one question we have recorded in scripture in this passage. Lord, is this the time when you're going to restore Israel? Now again, 40 days, Jesus has been teaching them about the kingdom of God. But in their one question, they ask about the kingdom of Israel. This is what's on their mind. This is their comfortable category that they have already got here. They are reducing Jesus's enormous cosmic, mind-blowing teaching about the kingdom of God to, as one scholar put it, a question about the political reconstitution of the kingdom of Israel. It's a very human question. It's human perspective-sized. It's basically them asking him, so is now the time when you're going to return to do what we want you to do? And as he so often does for us, Jesus redirects them. Personally, I love his very concise and gentle but firm way of redirecting them. Hear this. It's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. Or as my brother-in-law from Maine likes to say, nunya. Which is short for, I later found out, none of your business. 
or if we want to say it this way, we could borrow a playground saying from my childhood, which is that's for the father to know and for you to find out. The details about Jesus's return and the fruition of God's kingdom is on a need to know basis and the disciples, almost apostles, don't need to know. Jesus doesn't want them to be spinning their wheels over something they couldn't comprehend anyway. What he does want them to focus on is this, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. With these final words, this final promise, Jesus points them away from their own confining, comfortable categories and away from their own need to know. And he points them towards the coming reality that's going to change everything. Now is the time when God the Son is leaving them to return to God the Father so that God the Spirit will come and empower them to become Jesus's apostles, his messengers out into the world that is desperate for his good news. And with this last life-changing, world-changing promise, Jesus is lifted up and a cloud takes him out of their sight. This is a moment of sheer wonder in line with the incarnation of Jesus at Bethlehem and the crucifixion and resurrection, now there is the ascension. A moment of glory when the fullness of who God the Son is is revealed to the 11 as they stand there. And right before their eyes, he is raised up in exaltation back to the Father from whom he came. On his return, that kingdom of God will come with him and come fully to earth. And they were there to see the first part of that. So no wonder the disciples, almost apostles, are standing there gazing up into heaven. As Luke describes in verse 10, they are frozen in one of those let all mortal flesh keep silence moments as John Brennan played for us during the offertory. But talk about mixed emotions. They have wonder at the glory they have just seen right before them. And yet they also have grief because Jesus is gone from them in the way they had known. Profound wonder, profound loss. They are losing the physical presence of the risen Lord, walking right beside them, teaching them, guiding them, close enough to touch, close enough to ask questions and hear his voice answering. At least in my imagination, as they're standing there with their mouths open in wonder, they're probably also thinking, wait, 40 days was not long enough. I still have questions. But the ascension has already happened. It is complete. And yet, God doesn't have them standing there frozen for very long. Verses 11 
10 and 11 tell us that two men in white robes appear beside them and they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who's been taken up from you into heaven will come the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In other words, this is not the end of the story. It's only the end of this arc of the story, of the earthly ministry and work of Jesus. But far more is to come, just as he promised, just as he told you. So there they are, the 11 disciples, now apostles, standing in between the end of God, the Son's earthly ministry, and the coming of the promised God, the Holy Spirit. One arc of the story has ended, one has not quite begun, and in between is wonder and grief and awe and questions just as change usually stirs up. The goodbye has been said, but it's not yet time for the hello. The 11 are in transition. They're in the in-between. Most of us know what it's like to be in transition, to be in the in-between. Life is full of them replaying over and over and over again. That summer between high school and college where you're no longer a high schooler anymore, but you're not yet a college student. You're in the in-between. That time between ending one job and finding another. The period between being released from the hospital and not yet feeling like yourself again that season of adjusting to having an empty nest or settling into retirement or of slowly and painfully learning to live without a beloved one at our side. Or then there's the strange stress of moving and wondering if you'll ever feel settled again. That time of letting go of what we have known with only the promise of something new to come. Thankfully for the disciples, now apostles, Jesus has given them at least one clear instruction. In this time of in-between, he says, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait there for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Wait. That's their marching orders. That's their assignment for the in-between, that favorite thing we humans love to do and practice our patience, right? Wait. We're so good at it. But that's exactly what they do. They go back to Jerusalem as they were instructed, and they begin the business of waiting. Now, this is not the sitting around twiddling your thumbs or drumming your fingers, impatient kind of waiting most of us are used to. Theirs is different. It's the let's gather together in the upper room and get everybody together along with the other followers of Jesus and let's devote ourselves to prayer. That's the kind of waiting they're doing, as verses 12 through 14 tell us. 
And that's exactly what they need to be doing because Jesus has just revealed to them when he redirected them from their focus on the kingdom of Israel back to the kingdom of God, they've got some expectations to give up. And prayer's the best way to do that. They have some serious rethinking to do about all the ways they thought this scene was going to look like versus letting God shape it the way it needs to look like. They've got some serious spiritual preparation to do for whatever is coming next when they receive that power of the Spirit and are sent out as apostles. And so they do the only thing they can do in the waiting. They don't rush ahead. They gather together and they wait together and they pray together, which is the best possible response to what they've just experienced, the wonder of the ascension, and for what they're about to experience, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and they have no idea when that's going to happen or what it's going to look like. And gathering together to pray is the best way to be in the in-between. Like the apostles, the in the in-between, we also come face-to-face with the memory, the understanding, the reality once again that we are not in control. God is. In the in-between, we have the chance to wait and look back and give thanks for those moments of wonder and to grieve what has been lost and said goodbye to and to learn from what has been. In the in-between, we have the chance to simply be in the moment, to be still and to pray together, to allow God to speak to us and prepare us for whatever is to come, which surely will not look like what we think it will look like. In the in-between, we pray and we practice waiting on the Lord, letting go once again of the illusion that our agendas are what is important and learning to trust once again the promise that whatever God is bringing to us will be better than what we have planned anyway. As many of you know, my mother has Alzheimer's. She was diagnosed three years ago. And last month, we moved her from her home in the North Georgia mountains to a memory care community in Atlanta near my sister. As many of you know from your own experiences, this transition has actually been a series of smaller transitions along the way, each one with its own griefs and goodbyes and each one with its own graces. My two sisters and I had to come to the full awareness that it was time to move mom from her home. And then we were doing the work of finding the right community for her. And then planning for the move and then helping her make the move. And then her getting settled there, which is still happening 
And now my sisters and I are in that process of cleaning out mom and dad's retirement home where they moved in 2010 and where so many wonderful memories were made and where so many folks found safe harbor and a welcome. And even now as we do all of these smaller arcs, we are looking at one more arc, which is mom's continued decline. We are having to do the work over and over, bit by bit, of letting go of her and saying goodbye. So many of you know this story yourselves, having gone through something like it in your own life. Like any other progressive illness, this transition is a long arc. And we are in this in-between with my mom, my two sisters and me, waiting and praying and trusting the promise, the truth, that this part of our story together is not the end of the story. God has the end of the story in his hands and we can trust him with it. And so many others from our large extended family, my mom was one of 10 kids, so we have a huge extended family. And then the church families of my sisters and of myself who have surrounded with us, who are waiting with us in this in-between, who are praying us through this in-between and who are trusting with us that this is not the end of the story. Sisters and brothers, whatever in-betweens you have faced or are in right now, hear this good news from the book of Acts. Our God is with us in the in-between from the holiest, most glorious moments to the hardest goodbyes and everything in between. God is with us. Whatever our in-betweens as individual believers, as a community of faith, may we hear in this first chapter of Acts the call to wait, to be in the in-between with God and to put away our own agendas and expectations and compartments and let God be God. And may we hear the call in this in-between to pray so that we might more and more be open to his will and to put away our own, to be open to what God is doing and will do in the days to come. Again, the in-between is hard and it's also a gift. And it reminds us once again that we can trust the one who was holding us in the in-between. He gets the last word. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Oh God of the in-between, thank you for being with us through every transition in our lives, the big ones, the small ones, for reminding us always that even as we say one goodbye, 
you are in the process of creating a hello. That the ending of one thing is the beginning of another. And that your story is always being written in our lives. Lord, we once again ask that you would help us to wait on you, to pray so that you can shape us and to trust you that wherever we are is not the end of the story for we worship the God of new beginnings. In your name we pray, amen.